0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Inside Story on BFM 89.9.
2: Lin and Sherat Kutin. Tonight, we're looking into something that's been constantly in the news, the state of the ringgit. This as the ringgit has fallen to its lowest
3: level against the US dollar since the late 1990s. It's prompted hand-wringing about what this means for the economy. So first, we'll be speaking with Pankaj Sikuma, financial market columnist, and then later, with Ben Sufian to explore the political ramifications of
2: the ringgit's troubles. So let us know, do you have questions about what is happening to the ringgit? You can call double seven. double Double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. This is Inside Story. 609. So this is a story that almost feels like it doesn't require an introduction um, because the ringgit has been falling for some time now. And in that period, there have been consistent concerns, um, consistent... I don't know, it just comes up at, at every opportunity. Whenever we talk about the economy, whenever we talk about Malaysian competitiveness, whenever we talk about our future as a country, people always bring up the fact that, well... Have you seen what's happening to the ringgit? And so we thought perhaps the time was right to just open it up for a larger conversation about it. And also really to take your questions, because I don't know about everyone else. Uh, I can say that I definitely do not fully understand uh, all uh, all the various, I think, issues surrounding it. And I certainly don't understand the technicalities of it.
3: Yeah, and or even, and I together with you don't quite understand whether all the prescriptions that have been offered oh, that yes—will work in the way that people think it will work, right? So we're looking at a more than two-decade-long downward trend. It's not—it's not very dramatic, but it's gone down, and I think over twenty years, uh, it does make an impact. And I think sometimes there are these—I don't know—what they call psychological barriers. We think, oh my God, if it breaches five to uh, five ringgit to the dollar somehow this is calamitous. Um, I'm not sure whether speaking to an economist, they would agree. But this is the kind of language that I think surrounds the ringgit. And trying to get to grips with it uh, is actually a difficult one for someone uh, like myself, who
2: isn't steeped in economics. Just to say that, of course, the government has responded in a variety of ways. Now, how satisfactory you find those responses is quite another thing. But the Prime Minister, who is also, of course, the Finance Minister, uh, Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim, has said that they're not ignoring or taking the decline lightly, that there are continuous efforts to address it. Central Bank has been assigned to monitor the ringgit closely. There are daily meetings to tackle the issue. And he kind of... Um, Whenever this is brought up, he typically, I think, points instead to how last year saw the highest level of investment recorded in history in our country and kind of uses that as a way of saying, look, you know, don't. Don't worry that people are losing confidence. Look at this number rather than that number. But of course, um, like I said, it is a constant cry. The fall of the ringgit, the decline of the ringgit. What are we doing? So that's what we're focusing on first. Um, And we would like to know, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? But also specifically, do you have questions about what is happening to the ringgit or what we can do to kind of address it? Because our guest might be able to kind of help you make sense of it. Um, Joining us after this will be Pankaj Sikuma, a financial marketer. Market columnist, but again, if you have questions for Pankaj, that number to call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio.
1: BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station.
2: It is 6.13 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We are speaking today about the ringgit and the fact that um, it has fallen to its lowest level uh, since the Asian financial crisis of the late 1990s. Although the government does not like us pointing that out, I, I will say that, that has been there's been some pushback actually officially on that. Kind of statement, but um, it is now at about 4.8 ringgit to the US dollar. And so this comes up a lot when we talk about how people are feeling about the economy, whether people are worried about it. And so we're asking you whether you have questions about what's happening here. And any thoughts you'd like to offer, you can call 7733 2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 789 8899, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now to help us make sense of it is Bankaj Sikuma, a financial market columnist. Bankaj, welcome to the show.
4: Yeah, thank you, Lynn and Shara, for having me. Uh, let's see what viewers have uh, or listeners have in terms of questions uh, as to the Ringgit and where is it headed.
2: Yes, uh, as they come in, you'll be receiving them. So um, just to kind of set up the conversation, the decline of the ringgit to 4.8 against the dollar has been a topic of so much concern. Um, Can you help us understand actually what's happening? How significant is this?
4: Well, I think the straight answer is obviously yes. Uh, It is significant and it brings back uh, memories of the Asian financial crisis. Uh, As you know, ringgit then hit a low of 4.885. Although fundamentally, if you look at it uh, between then and now, Uh, the Malaysian economy is on a much stronger footing than a quarter quarter a century ago. Uh, I think to understand uh, currency movement is really a complex issue. Uh, It has many pull and push factors uh, that determines uh, its value uh, of a particular currency, and in the case of ringgit, different factors take precedence over different time spans. And in today's context, uh, in my opinion, I think it's the yield spread between the US treasuries and the Malaysian government securities uh, as a key factor. Uh, A couple weakening economic fundamentals that we saw the fourth quarter uh, GDP data, which was relatively lower than expected. Uh, And we also saw uh, weakness in our current account surplus. So those are kind of concerns uh, for market. And that's where we saw the weakness of the ringgit uh, lately.
3: Pakaj, I want to ask about the weakness because I see, I least we follow international news, and we see like the lira plummeted, you know, and, you know, and other currencies are very volatile. The Malaysian ringgit seems to have kind of a slow decline. I mean, is, is that an accurate characterization of what's happened to the ringgit? And what does it say about the problems that the ringgit has?
4: I think uh, different currencies have different factors that determine their directions, really. Uh, I think, yes, you you are right when you talk about the lira. I mean, it has plummeted substantially. Uh, I mean, you can't compare that with the ringgit. Yeah? Ringgit has weakened uh, on a measured basis, I would say, over a period of time. Last year, we weakened about 4%. Uh, this year, we are again down by about 4% thereabouts. Yeah, And we are only just uh, two months into the year. Yeah. So and of course, I think there was some shift in expectations uh, as far as uh, rate uh, uh, cuts are expected, as far as the US is concerned. Uh, when we turn the year twenty twenty four, market was looking perhaps up to six rate cuts this year. Uh, but when you know inflation data came out, uh, market were not too convinced, and even uh, the Fed also guided, yeah, that rate cuts this year will just be three so uh, that different expectation have changed you know the the expectations in terms of where 10 year us treasuries uh, should be and which means that you know the spread between the 10 year us treasury and the ringgit remain uh, rather high and that probably caused uh, the weakness of the ringgit itself
2: so uh, does this actually have more to do with the fact that the ringgit is weakening or is it ha- to do with the fact that the dollar is strengthening
4: yeah, I think that's always a very good question, yeah. A lot of people ask me this, you know, which is which? Uh, is the dollar weakening or is the ringgit, uh, the dollar strengthening or the ringgit weakening? I said you got to segregate the two. And one, the way I look at it is that I look at the dollar index. Yeah, dollar index is a well-observable uh, uh, currency as well as the index. And if you look at it uh, year-to-date, uh, the dollar index is up 2.7%, right? Whereas uh, the ringgit itself is down 3.8% against the dollar. So naturally, you can measure this by saying the dollar strength is about, you know, uh, three quarters of the uh, of the weakness of the ringgit, and the other the other quarter is actually the weakness of the ringgit itself. Yeah. So maybe you can measure it that way.
3: Well, what about the statement? I believe it came from Governor Anwar himself when he said, "Well, look at regional currencies; they also ha- they also have weakened." So, I mean. You know the other obsession the Malaysians have is Singapore, right? So we, it's, we're also weakening against Singapore, and that always hurts. How would yeah. you kind of advise us to think about, say, even regional currencies and all the ringgit yeah. in in a comparative perspective?
2: I think if you look at it over a
4: period of time, uh, the ringgit has weakened against all the you know regional currencies, yeah, and that includes the Thai includes the Indonesian rupiah, maybe to a certain extent the Philippine peso. I'm uh, to talk about the dollar, Sing dollar, yeah, which we have weakened uh, considerably over a period of time. Uh, and I think, as far as Singapore is concerned, yeah, because Singapore doesn't have an interest rate policy, uh, so very difficult for us to compare. Uh, I mean, we have that natural uh, comparison, yeah, we always compare with US dollar and Sing dollar, you know. But the problem is that uh, Singapore has a very different perspective when it comes to managing its currency. Uh, you know, it, it uses uh, currency as a, uh, as a tool, uh, you know, to control inflation. And Singapore uh, being a country which is very much uh, open and exposed, and as you know, they import everything. Uh, so they have to make sure that their currency remains strong, yeah? and they probably intervene in the market uh, to support the thing dollar as well. And that's why you see uh, uh, with the strength of the Sink dollar as well, to a certain extent, you can see interest rates in Singapore too have actually gone up. Now, to the extent that you see today, uh, deposit rates in Sing dollar are even higher than deposit rates in Ringgit. Yeah, so that also drains, uh, you know, outflows uh, to the extent that people feel that, hey, why don't I save in Sing dollar instead of Ringgit because you know rates are much better.
2: We have um, two anonymous listeners who are also talking about Singapore saying. Okay, one says, why is it that Singapore can peg the Singapore dollar to a range of rates in a basket of currencies, therefore it doesn't fluctuate drastically? Why? Why? What don't we have that prevents us from doing the same? And anon is also saying, why can't we do this?
4: Well, Singapore, as I said, yeah, they use uh, the currency as a as a tool, yeah, to control uh, inflation. Uh, whereas Malaysia uses interest rates uh, to control inflation. Uh, so it's a very two different way of managing, uh, you know, the Inflation expectations. Uh, so, as, as and as I said earlier, uh, Singapore is a very open economy, and it has substantial reserves at the same time. Yeah, uh, and I think I remember I, I spoke about this as well before. And if you look at it, uh, when the US dollars uh, was strengthening in uh, twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, Singapore actually used a substantial part of its reserves uh, to defend the currency. Yeah, and Malaysia doesn't have that that room uh, really uh, to defend the currency in the sense that using our reserves. Yeah, so in Singapore's case, if at, let's say Singapore didn't do anything and Sing dollar actually weakened, what would that mean? That would mean inflation, imported inflation, will continue to creep into the economy. Inflation rates will remain high, and that will be detrimental to growth. Yeah, so definitely Singapore saw that coming, and probably uh, that was the reason why it intervened. And and uh, to ensure that Sing dollar remains relatively strong against, uh, you know, uh, the the US dollar.
3: Now we do have a question here, which is kind of like basic one on one, I think, but we all will benefit from it. So L- Linia says, how is the value of the ringgit determined?
4: Well, just like any currency, yeah, the value of a currency is determined by demand and supply. Simple as that. Yeah, uh, and of course, the confidence in the currency uh, that do plays a role. Some people like to compare, you know, uh, between one currency and another, because today, uh, all currencies in the world, most of them, you know, they are not really backed by by what they call gold reserves or anything like that. Yeah, it's all about confidence and sentiment. Uh, so, and of course, demand and supply. Yeah. So as long as there is a demand for a currency, your currency will strengthen. And if there is a weakness in the demand, yeah, then the currency will weaken.
2: Just a reminder that today we are talking about the ringgit and its value or its decline and what it might mean for our economy. If you have questions, if you have been wondering anything about why this is happening, its effects, uh, that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, um, Pankaj, I... I think that what we've been seeing is that a lot of people are comparing it or measuring it up against the Asian financial crisis in 1998. And actually, Roberto uh, has message to say um, the last time I, re- if I remember correctly, the crisis then was about currency manipulation, with George Soros being heavily criticised for it. Right now, it doesn't; it's not as deep as that. But could it be some monetary or currency manipulation on the horizon? I just wonder because I'm not sure.
4: Well, I think. Uh it's a fair way to look at it in terms of where the currency is, yeah? Uh, we are back to where we were during the Asian financial crisis. But the fundamental reasons behind it is totally different. Yeah, uh, in 1997 uh, it was uh, speculation. Uh, I mean, of course, we all know it started with the Thai Baht. Yeah, uh, but the, the reason for the attack on the Asian currencies then were very much different. Uh, it was because uh, fundamentally the Asian economies were weak they were running between deficits interest rates were high yeah so all that uh, caused uh, you know uh, an attack, an attack on uh, on the currencies and and uh, today the fundamental of uh, the economy for example in Malaysia is very much different than what it was in 1997 yeah I mean if you look at it uh, Malaysia for now remains a strong investment destination. Uh, our inflation interest rate level are manageable and supportive of the economy. In our banking sector, I think that's a key sector to look at. Yeah, remains uh, robust and strong. Yeah, So I don't really make a bad comparison in that sense. But as far as the currency level is concerned, yes, uh, people are comparing it to the Asian crisis.
3: Now, one of the things that is said is that we came out of the Asian financial crisis perhaps stronger than some of our regional neighbors, but then we have now uh, lagged behind. And so I wonder if you could address that. What, what were we doing right at the start of that kind of post-Asian financial crisis moment? Uh, and what did we fail to do uh, since then?
4: Well, I think during the Asian crisis, as you know, the three uh, hardest hit car- uh, countries were Thailand, Indonesia, and Korea, and Malaysia. Yeah, uh, But we took a different route uh, compared to the three countries that I mentioned just now. Uh, the three of them sought the help of IMF. Uh, Malaysia decided to have its own recipe, uh, as we know. And if you remember correctly, then uh, we introduced capital controls, you know, and that actually shocked shocked the market. yeah. Uh, nobody expected that coming. Uh, and with capital controls and without intervention from IMF, um, Malaysia took its own uh, route in terms of reform. But those sort of reforms were not real reforms. Yeah, uh, We were not forced to make tough de- decisions uh, uh, compared to you know, countries like Indonesia, Thailand as well as Korea. But look at them where they, where they are today, especially Korea. Yeah, uh, They are you know, very well known in the in, in the global arena in terms of brand names and, you know, their, their products, yeah? Uh, or even K-pop, for example, everybody knows that, yeah? So you can see how Korea has advanced compared to uh, countries like Malaysia who is left behind. And I think one of the reasons we can take note of it is we have lost our competitiveness uh, to a certain extent.
2: We have uh, Winston who wants to know... Might illegal money transfers be affecting the uh, the value of the ringgit? For example, illegal transfers of ringgit to rupiah.
4: Uh, I would think yes. Uh, the short answer is yes, uh, because when I look at data, uh, one of the things that I looked at is you know the balance of payment, which is uh, released by Bank Negara, and one part of it is referred to as errors and omission. Uh, but to me, when I look at that number, which is a significant amount uh, every year. I feel that errors and omission actually reflects uh, leakages, whether these are illicit outflows or even monies that is been perpetrated outside. Yeah, so all these are probably captured uh, in in that form. So I believe yes, uh, to a certain extent. Uh, and at the same time, don't forget, yeah, uh, we have a large pool of foreign workers, uh, low skilled foreign workers who are here just to earn the money, and much of it is actually perpetrated out. So we do see that uh, as a factor that is actually causing the ringgit weakness. But having said that, that's just one part of the equation. Yeah, I mentioned about ERN and commission. Uh, There's also about portfolio outflows. Yeah, and portfolio outflows are not just done by you know corporations or institutions, but also by individuals. Uh, that is also again a factor that causes weakness on the currency. As well as, you know, if you look at it, uh, some of our companies which are investing abroad, yeah, our direct investment abroad is also huge. yeah. So again, that is also draining yeah, uh, the currency to a certain extent.
3: Pankaj, uh, coming back to your earlier um, description of what Singapore is, so we have a question here. Can Malaysia then move from interest rates to using the currency to manage inflation? Can we go the Singapore route? I think is essentially the question.
4: I don't think so. I think Malaysia's uh, idea of managing inflation uh, is using interest rates, yeah. And of course interest rate has an impact on currency as well. As you can see, if the yield spread is uh, is positive, yeah, in terms of let's say the US uh, interest rates are higher than Malaysia, obviously the dollar uh, would be a much better currency to hold compared to the ringgit. But if it's the other way around, I mean, which which we used to have in fact, yeah. The ten-year MGS uh, before the Fed started to raise interest rates were higher than uh, U.S. interest rates, so the currency become a carrying currency. Yeah, so you know people can borrow uh, in the currency and 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 because it's cheap. Yeah, so that actually allows uh, the currency to appreciate. But you know, I, I don't believe that Malaysia will go go to the. Um, to the method that Singapore is managing using the currency to manage inflation, Malaysia will continue to use interest rate to manage inflation.
2: We're speaking today with Pankaj C. Kuma, financial market columnist, uh, particularly about currency and the ringgit in particular because the fall of the ringgit or the decline of the ringgit has been a matter of some concern for some time now. We're asking you if you have questions about what's going on, if you have thoughts about how the ringgit reflects on our economy, that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 18 Tweet us at BFM Radio.
0: Bigotry Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9.
2: It is 6.38 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod, along with our guest, Pankaj Sikuma, financial market columnist. And together we are trying to understand what's going on with the decline of the ringgit, how it reflects on our economy and so on. And we're asking you if you have questions or concerns about what is happening, anything you want clarified. You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, Pankaj, you're still on the line with us. Yes, I am. Excellent. Um, so we've got some voice notes from listeners. Um, let's start with this one from Mark.
0: I think the most important question I need to ask uh, with regards to the fall of the ringgit is, uh, I mean, I can only say that uh, we, 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 in an organizational way, we, uh, where we work. I mean, if there's a problem and the managers address it to us and we collectively as a team try to solve the problem because, I mean, there's strength in numbers, right? So basically what I'd like to know is what can we do as rakyat to, uh, to ensure or to help solve the fall of the ringgit problem, you see? And that's basically all I want to know.
2: Thanks, Mark. Pankaj, your thoughts?
4: <laughs> what what can ryan do i think the easiest answer to that is buy local travel local don't go overseas don't convert ringgit to other currencies yeah uh, which means that you keep your money in your ringgit yeah don't do not convert into other currencies so then you don't have a demand uh by by selling your ringgit to buy other currencies yeah that's what uh, uh the man on the street can really do uh, but Following up on that, I think the next question you probably want to ask is, what could the government do? Yeah, uh, because I think the government also plays a role in addressing currency weakness. Uh, I mean, other than the central bank, uh, the government too can encourage, you know, exporters to convert their currencies to the ringgit. Uh, they could encourage uh, our GLCs who have invested a lot abroad, you know, to start realizing their profits and bringing back their, those proceeds to Malaysia, uh, which means that they will convert or sell in other currencies and bring it back into ringgit, that could help the ringgit as well. Yeah. Uh, and of course, some people have given the opinion that perhaps Bank Negara should raise interest rates to match what's in the US, but I don't completely agree with that uh, because the fundamentals of the US economy is totally different than Malaysia. Uh, our growth is still pretty much okay, uh, while our inflation is well under control. So there's no reason to really raise interest rates. Yeah.
3: Yeah, right. but could you, uh, can I ask you about that? Because raising interest rates would hurt a certain segment of Malaysians, yes. right? Yes. I mean, right? Yes. Okay. So, and I can see why that will be a push. There will be pushback on that. But I want to come back to you: how Raya can help? Uh, yeah. You said you know buy local, but you know so many of the things that we buy locally, as in our groceries, actually from. Other countries imported, uh, Imported, right? So, what do we do with that? What do we do with our digital purchases, online purchases on you know all these uh, platforms? What do we do with the fact that a lot of our food is imported? I mean, well, well, if you you need to, obviously,
4: you can't avoid it, right? Uh, I suppose, but it will come to a point where it becomes too expensive to buy something that is you know imported. Then you probably look for substitutes, uh, which you find that okay, in Malaysia, we do have it, you know, just buy local, for example. Yeah. Certain things, time, prices have really gone up a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even if you look at the whole uh, supply chain, uh, when you talk about manufacturing processes or agriculture, uh, the input costs have gone up. Yeah. Because a lot of things are actually imported value added, you know, and then to the final product yeah? and, and that actually pushes up, uh, final, uh, cost of, uh, producing, uh, in terms of manufactured product or agriculture products, uh, or, or farm products, yeah. So all that has an impact. Uh, so then again, you got to ask the question whether, you know, are there substitutes for you? If you do not have, then obviously you have no choice, yeah, but to continue to seal. But if you have a choice in terms of buying something that is cheaper or made in Malaysia, why not? Yeah. So I think that's the way to look at it.
2: We have, um, okay, just to say that the Prime Minister has um, kind of cited last year's high investments as proof that we have not lost foreign investor confidence. And um, to that point, we have a WhatsApp actually that came in from Kalimi who says, what we require is sentiment flow from foreign investors in bonds and stock market. The problem is foreign investors can't hedge their foreign currency exposure since um, the Ringgit NDF was clamped back in 2016. Although BNM developed onshore FX markets for foreign investors to hedge hedge onshore, it's troublesome, especially for investors that operate during non-Malaysian hour trading times. This simple access to hedge will definitely increase foreign flows, hence strengthening the ringgit.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, uh, The issue with ringgit uh, post, uh, you know, after we, we remove the capital controls, uh, remain, uh, ringgit remains untradable outside Malaysian shores. So that makes it difficult uh, for foreigners for coming to the market you know, and they do not have the ability to hedge, and even to hedge. Uh, for example, uh, the cost of hedging is rather expensive. Yeah, so then it defeats the purpose of going into a market simply on with a currency view, uh, because uh, the cost of hedge may be too expensive. Yeah, uh, unless it reaches a certain trigger point, then it makes sense. But with, with what what we have introduced in the market in terms of you know for foreigners. Uh, it's not really helping them to come to the market, especially in the stock market or even the bond market for that matter. Yes, we saw inflows last year, uh, but as for the bond market, uh, maybe equity market to a certain extent, but not really substantial uh, to me, uh, to the extent that it could lift up uh, sentiment. Uh, But at the end of it, you know, it's all about confidence. And I think with Ringgit hovering at the levels that we saw during the Asian financial crisis, uh, this question has popped up again: uh, whether Malaysia is going to introduce capital controls. Yeah? Uh, although the government has uh, denied it, obviously, but we need to keep that messaging going. Yeah, that Malaysia will not or will never impose capital controls because that fear is still lingering in the minds of foreign investors. Uh, that what if you know if I come to Malaysia uh, as an investor? whether in the uh, capital market or as a foreign direct investor, uh, whether my money is going to be tied up yeah? uh, when Malaysia you know, decides to impose capital control, for example. So that fear is still lingering. Yeah, So to me, I think Malaysia still needs to communicate the message out there pretty well uh, and have a firm belief of, um, of messaging that we will never or will not resort to capital controls at all.
3: Yeah, it really does point to the way that we're so globalised. But OK, let's. there's a message here from Ahmad Zai, uh, Yazid, who says, there are obviously obvious reasons why the government can't afford to change their monetary policy to bring the US dollar down. But what if they do? What are the pros and cons?
4: Um, obviously, if you are trying to match what the US is doing, it will hurt the local economy. I mean, the fundamental factors between Malaysian economy and the US economy are to- totally different. Our currency is not packed to the dollar. You know, unlike, uh, for example, the Hong Kong dollar, yeah, the Hong Kong dollar, Hong Kong Monetary Authority (HKMA) has a peg with the U.S. dollar, right? So whenever U.S. Federal Reserve uh, increases or reduces interest rate, the HKMA follows suit, yeah, because they have to maintain the peg. Malaysia does not have a peg, yeah, so we do not follow the monetary policy that is dictated uh, by the Federal Reserve. Uh, where else we actually follow what we think is right for Malaysia in terms of growth and inflation expectations.
2: Esther, meanwhile, wants to know: Do you think that the ringgit's weakness against regional currencies is also because of BNM's less aggressive interest rate hikes compared to regional central banks? Would a high would higher OPR help the ringgit to strengthen, or is the weakness of the ringgit more structural? For example, weak reserves, fiscal deficit.
4: Uh, there are two parts to that answer. One is, of course, yes, uh, I think we did not raise interest rate as much as others. Uh, if you look at Indonesia, Philippines, they raised uh, interest rates rather aggressively. Uh, but or even if you were to compare, uh, go a bit far yeah, down under Australia, uh, which have also been very aggressive in raising interest rates. But the Aussie dollar didn't really... Appreciate or, or in fact the Aussie dollar too have weakened against the US dollar. So sometimes it's not really an answer in terms of raising interest rate to, to, uh, to match what the US is doing. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at it uh, in terms of the uh, regional comparison, uh, you will see that uh, the factors that play out for Malaysia are totally different uh, than the rest of uh, Southeast Asia. Yeah. Uh, In fact, uh, inflation in Malaysia is under control. Whereas in other countries, inflation remains persistently high. Uh, So they have difficulty, even though they have raised interest rate uh, to a certain extent, uh, they actually face difficulty in in cutting interest rates now because inflation remains high. Uh, Whereas in Malaysia, uh, I think the last reading we had, if you look at the core inflation, it's only 1.8%. But of course, we have expectations that inflation will go up perhaps second half of this year uh, when the government starts to reduce uh, subsidies and introduce targeted subsidies for few, or, or perhaps uh, with other price pressures, especially with the introduction of, of uh, SST going up to 8%, uh, so that could have some impact in terms of prices uh, and inflation could start to pick up again.
2: We're speaking today with Pankaj C. Kumar, financial market columnist on The State of the Ringgit. If you've got questions or comment, you can call us, you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio.
0: Bringing fresh meaning.
1: BFM 89.9.
2: It is 6.49 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. And we're speaking today about the uh, decline of the ringgit and asking you if you have questions about it that you'd like some clarity on. You can call 7773 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 18 789 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So, um, we do have more listener questions. Um, CG says... Malaysia's shadow economy is quite substantial. Could this also impact our weak currency? What advice would you give for savers and senior citizens to ensure that their savings won't deteriorate?
4: Well, I agree. Uh, I think there are two parts of this uh, statement as well. First of all, if we look at the shadow economy, I mean, the the, the, uh, so-called official or unofficial data suggests that the uh, uh, underground economy... Perhaps, or shadow economy is about twenty-five to thirty percent of the formal economy, uh, which is huge. Yeah, uh, and the government basically loses out in terms of tax revenue. Yeah, which if uh, left unchecked, uh, is not healthy for government's finances. Uh, so that is why, uh, uh, if you recap, uh, coming from the budget uh, that has been presented before, uh, the government is introducing e-voicing, uh, which sooner or later will capture a lot of. Uh, you know, uh, uh, businesses or individuals who are not captured by the tax bracket now. Yeah, so that is actually a positive thing for the government uh, in the years uh, coming. Um, and the other part of the question was about uh, what was it just now, uh, Lim?
3: About sa- uh, savers and senior citizens.
4: Ah, okay, savers and senior citizens. Yeah, I think that really depends on your commitments. Yeah, uh, if you are in Malaysia, your you're, if you are saving in ringgit, you're earning ringgit, you're spending in ringgit. Yeah? Yes, uh, there will be some impact coming from imported inflation, uh, but there's very little you can really do in terms of uh, managing that risk exposure. Uh, there are some uh, savers out there who hold foreign currency deposits, uh, perhaps uh, to capitalize a bit on the weakness of the ringgit and perhaps a little bit of you know, slightly higher in terms of uh, interest income. Uh, that could be another strategy. In fact, if you look at it, uh, in Bank Negara statistics, uh, total deposits of the of the banking system, ten percent of it is actually in foreign currency deposits. So there are uh, depositors out there uh, who actually keep money in foreign currencies.
3: Now, there's also a message here, or question rather, from Jimmy Lim. He says, why, do Malaysia, why don't Malaysians discuss or compliment Malaysia for its debt-to-GDP ratio? Ours is way better than Singapore's. He also went on to say, oh, why don't we compare the ringgit to the yen?
4: Okay, very good questions. Uh, in fact, uh, I think I, I'd like to perhaps address the first one. The Malaysia's debt to GDP is about 65% thereabouts. And Singapore, of course, some will quote and say that Singapore has a high debt to GDP of more than 100%. But that's not entirely true, you know. Uh, Singapore debt is actually uh self-made debt. Yeah, uh, they, they actually create a debt for self-funding in terms for the CPF to invest. Yeah, so it's not really debt, really. Singapore actually is a uh, is a net cash country, not a net debt country. In fact, they have they are triple A rated. Yeah, so Malaysia shouldn't compare with Singapore in terms of where we are, uh, in terms of our financial management compared to Singapore. So we are we uh, uh, as a comparison in terms of sixty five percent with developed countries is actually healthy, uh, but for Malaysia's case at sixty five percent debt to GDP, the problem is that uh, the level of debt. Uh, and insufficient revenue uh, from tax collection and other income uh, suggests that our debt service charges are rather high. Uh, In fact, it has surpassed the self-imposed threshold of 15%. I think it's about 16 point something percent now. Uh, So that's not very healthy. So we need to maintain uh, perhaps the debt to GDP ratio or bring it down. Uh, And that can only happen if we start to spend less or uh, you know, we are able to collect more in terms of revenue. And coming talking about revenue, of course, then it, it, we are referring to the tax reforms yeah, that the government should introduce. Because some of these are all structural issues, really, yeah, in terms of what the government should be doing. Uh, we have introduced some changes to the tax system that we have today. Uh, as you know, the SST rate has been raised we have introduced capital gains tax. We have introduced low-value goods tax. Yeah? We are also going to be introducing luxury goods tax. Yeah? Uh, so there are many ways to you know, uh, introduce higher taxes. Uh, in fact, Malaysia needs to do it. Because in comparison, if you look at Malaysia's tax collection to GDP uh, with OECD countries, we are way behind. Our, our tax collection to revenue uh, to GDP is only about 12% or less than that. Whereas in OECD countries we are talking about 18 19 percent yeah so we are way off yeah so we need to widen the tax man uh, tax um, and, and that can only happen again you know I mean we are talking about structure. wages yeah uh, we need to raise wages as well so that will actually help the government to uh, collect more revenue and and having a better revenue profile and reduce reducing that going forward.
2: We've also got a voice note from Saiful which actually kind of circles um, you know, how relevant this is to the broader public.
0: For me personally, and from the survey that I do uh, outside from Klang Valley, people don't really care about the money ringgit are going down because for most of us, we are looking at the cost of living, looking at the potential, how the thing is coming up. And so far, the, the cost of living, the pricing, everything is quite stable. And those are the thing that main concern for other people from outside our Klang Valley. Only people who are right now interesting in politics or they're talking about the Klang Valley people. We are more towards Malaysia problem. We're talking about national issue. When the last time we have the same thing, 4.8 ringgit per dollar, it does impact us directly because at that same time you have to remember, petrols everything is going up accordingly to the ringgit and the. Yes, yeah, similar with the sum of the product that's going up almost overnight because of the ringgit and that impacts other people. And for me right now, 4.8 ringgit, I'm not going overseas. I don't really care about that much. Is it the true indicator of economy? No, not in my humble opinion.
2: Saiful, thank you for that. Um, Pankaj, your thoughts, because I, I think that... We've, I mean, we've just done a whole hour really on it. Um, But do you think that it is, you know, the true indicator of our economy's strength?
4: Uh, yes and no. I mean, to some people, you know, you don't feel it, yeah, because we have a lot of price controls out there. Don't forget, and the first one is, of course, where everyone, everyone feels it in the wallet. Uh, It's our fuel, yeah, around ninety-five by two ringgit five cents has been there for the longest time yeah, uh, and of course the government continues to provide subsidies uh, and today if, if it's free floated, yeah, uh, petrol would be at least about three ringgit fifty cents per litre and we are not even talking about taxing yet on fuel consumption. Yeah? In Wales, if you look at other countries within the region, uh, petrol that is sold to the consumers is actually taxed yeah, uh, the government actually collects tax. Yeah, other governments, but Malaysia doesn't do that. Yeah, and Malaysia provides subsidies, so the men on the street don't feel it. Uh, the reason why, uh, the other reason is that, of course, maybe there's no much of uh, like for those who are outside Klang Valley, maybe uh, what they're consuming is very much uh, produced in Malaysia. You know, so it doesn't really impact them. Uh, but if you were to look at imported items, we already can see. The impact, yeah, uh, whether it's uh, consumables uh, or even capital goods, yeah, the, the prices are, are much more higher because Ringgit is weak.
3: package we have one, about one minute. Uh, in Parliament today, Subang MP Wong Chen said that the government should be ready to defend the line, not let the five Ringgit psychological mark be breached. What do you think?
4: I think in a, it's difficult for the government to really. Uh, control uh where the currency goes but i think five is a very psychological mark huh? you, if you remember uh back in 1998 george soros said we'll see you at five yeah uh and of course i think at that level uh and and everybody agrees yeah i think anyone you talk to today whether it's an economist or market person, will think that ringgit is fundamentally undervalued right uh, but somehow or other, the ringgit continues to weaken. Yeah, I, But I believe that we are almost at the threshold level where the ringgit have probably seen the worst. And from here, the ringgit should appreciate. Yeah, So I would think that uh, if at all it inches towards the, the psychological mark, uh, I would think Bank Megara would probably step in and intervene.
2: Pankaj, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. That was Pankaj C. Kuma, financial market columnist, talking about the ringgit. After this, uh, we will be exploring the political side of all of this. So keep it here. BFM 89.9.
1: Bruce Freddie Morrissey. BFM 89.9.
2: It is 7.08 and you are listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. Just as a recap of what we've been talking about, it's the ringgit. Um, You know, it has declined to about 4.8 against the dollar and it's gotten people worried while also getting others essentially saying, well, is it really that much to be worried about? Look at the region, you know, it, it, we're also seeing other regional currencies dip. So there are all sorts of things going around it. And chief among that is actually, whose fault is it? Now, I'm not here to allocate blame. I'm merely saying that the conversation around blame has been um, going hard and fast. Um, And if you look at what happened most recently, for example, the opposition leader, Dr Sri Hamza Zainuddin, has called for for the Prime Minister to sack the Finance Minister. Now, that of course is, uh, what do we call that? snarky remark. (laughs) It's a very snarky remark because the PM and the finance minister are one and the same but I think that it gives you some idea of um, the the way in which this has turned into a very political conversation. Yeah, and it it is deeply political
3: because, and I think it's been uh, political for the longest time, right? I think many voices in opposition, uh, regardless of of the government of the day, have used this as a way of, you know, striking at the government of the day and saying that somehow something is wrong, or there's a there's a, a lack in their response, and so on and so forth. But I think the, the question is whether politicians are trading on our general ignorance of the way the, you know, where economics works, the way currencies work, which have become extraordinarily complex, right? And so there is this thing, I think, for policymakers, as opposed to what politicians do, uh, which is to kind of, you know... Yeah, call for resignations. I mean, that seems to be their general thing. The question is, does it stick? Call for firing, <laughs> Call for firing. Fire yourself. You know, I, I do wonder, though, you know, um, whether people feel it. and You know, it was very interesting that we did have that voice note from somebody um, uh, earlier, yeah, Sifal, And saying, you know, people outside the Klang Valley don't quite feel it the same way, right? And that's perhaps, and there's nothing wrong with us in the Klang Valley feeling it because of the choices we make, right? Including sending our children overseas to study
2: and so on and so forth. So that political aspect is what we want to explore now. Um, in case you missed our conversation earlier, it was with Pankaj Sikuma, and he was kind of running through the various more economic strands of this and trying to offer some clarity so in case you, you're, you're wondering what's going on um, that might be a good one to listen to once the podcast is out but joining us now to talk about the political side of things is Ben Sufian, Programme Director of Medeca Centre Ben, thanks for speaking with us
1: Thanks for having me on
2: So um, the Prime Minister has essentially rebuffed critics claiming that the currency's decline is because of poor economic management pointing, that, um, pointing to the FDI rising despite Despite the ringgit, what do you make of the position that he staked out?
1: Well, I think you know he is. Uh, I think sensitive to the criticisms about the economy, partly because for the longest time when he was opposition leader, he used to be taking pot shots against the standing government of those days about economic performance. Now I think uh, the the economy of Malaysia, you know, and also how it translates into uh, the way ordinary ordinary citizens feel about its effects on them and their wallets, that has been a long-standing issue. I think uh, for the longest time, people had been shielded. But I think you know, going back to nearly 15 years ago, when the subsidy regime began to be calibrated during the time of Prime Minister Abdullah Badawi, the public became more acutely aware about the effects of the economy and how it affects their uh, living expenses and their ability to make ends meet. Uh, and throughout that period, uh, you know, Datuk Sri Ano Ibrahim, who was then opposition leader in many capacities, have been criticizing the government. And so now that he has finally come into power as Prime Minister, now he is on the receiving end of such okay. criticism. So certainly he is uh, uh, sensitive towards them. Uh, but I think his rebuff of these remarks, you know, is, uh, stands very similar to standing leaders of the past. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty much use the same arguments as well. So the question, of course, is, uh, is
3: Parikata National, led by Hamza Zainuddin in Parliament, successfully capitalising on this matter? Do we have a sense of
1: whether it's sticking with the population? I think uh, the ringgit uh, decline uh, is first and foremost, I think, a matter of concern and also um, something that a lot of people who are maybe white-collar, upper-income, people with business interests are focusing on. For the vast majority of Malaysians, uh, they pretty much are not. Uh, In fact, this very morning, I spoke to a friend of mine who's preparing his retirement farm, his uh, growing palm oil and his remark is completely the opposite because he's watching the currency exchanges and he says that a decline in US dollar versus ringgit is bad for him because he's making more money when ringgit is weaker. And so he's been watching this and he noticed that uh, within the last 18 hours or so, Uh, the currency exchange seems to be in favour of the ringgit for the first time in many weeks. So leading him to speculate that maybe there has been some kind of intervention. So different segments look at this differently. I think the segment of population that are uh, concerned about the currency exchange are pretty much maybe the top 10%, 15% of the population, along with people in the import business uh, sectors.
3: Yeah, so to that, you know, we had a remark uh, in Parliament today from Wong Chen, uh, Subang MP, who says that the government actually should uh, support the ringgit if it comes close or breaches the five ringgit psychological mark. I mean, who exactly will benefit from the government, I, I guess, uh, essentially pumping money into uh, shoring up the ringgit?
1: Well, I think, you know, that's, I mean, It's very hard to do, you know, because I think many countries in the different parts of the world has tried to intervene and shore up the flagging values of their currencies. And most often, they end up being targeted by currency traders and so on, particularly if there is a big differential between the perceived value of their currency and what the market thinks, uh, uh, what has been pumped up. So I think in the long term, it's not a sustainable you know, uh, strategy. In any case, our foreign currency reserves uh, held by by Bainagara isn't that huge. So I don't think it can last many, many months. You know, it's something that can probably be done over the course of several weeks at the most. Uh, I think what really is critical is, I think, getting the public to understand that um, the currency exchange of a country, you know, is dependent on many different factors. And I think the Prime Minister over the last several days, I think on Monday or Tuesday, actually made the remark that um, you know, one factor that could help in improving the valuation of the Ringgit would be to increase the OPR rates, the, our interest rates here in Malaysia, so that it is more at par with countries of the region. I mean it's quite clear that I think with the exception of Thailand, Malaysia's interest rates is much lower than its, its uh, regional neighbours. And therefore, uh, I think suffers as well due to the currency pressure. So as a result of not raising interest rates, the ringgit value has declined. Now, I think he has gone out to explain that the government has opted not to burden people with higher debt servicing costs. And as a result, the ringgit value has gone down. Uh, I think that's something that could be used to further explain this away. But it is an issue that maybe 20% of the people are affected. Uh, by rising uh, foreign currency value, but I think 80% of the people are settled with high household debts and therefore uh, what's happening right now doesn't really affect them in a big way.
2: So essentially, um, do you think that there is any potential for this to lead to any sort of destabilisation of the government? I think
1: for this time, no. It's partly because... Uh, I think people have gone through many cycles of attempted destabilization of the government uh, and that has uh, you know, brought diminishing returns to the opposition. In fact, I would say that the opposition has lost a lot of time over the past year uh, because they've been focused on destabilizing the government. They have not been able to really mobilize support for itself in preparation for future elections. They've lost maybe more than a year now. Uh, And at the same time, um, they are facing pressures in their own constituencies. They have MPs that have uh, switched support to the Prime Minister. And I think the leadership within a lot of these parties, you know, will pretty much be facing uh, renewal within the medium term, primarily before the next election. And so they need to consolidate themselves. So I think potential for destabilization is quite low. I think the major challenge for the current year and going beyond is how the current government intends to impose the subsidy recalibration programs. I mean, we are hearing from the grapevine about reduction of diesel subsidies and RON95 petrol subsidies that's uh, supposed to take place this year. I think that's critical because that certainly will have follow on effects on consumer prices uh, and that I think will affect uh, you know household incomes in a big way uh, in the coming years. So how they intend to mitigate that uh, and um, reimburse or remunerate the public through the new re- cash transfer schemes, that has to be articulated. That w- w- would, I think, be the most critical issue between now and the end of the term.
3: Ben you know just today uh, the ministry of Finance you know kind of came out to explain to uh, media editors about the increase of S, uh, the sales tax from six to eight percent and all the carve outs in it you know and was at pains to say that while they were concerned about you know uh, managing the deficit and, and and debt that you know they were weren't going to try and uh, burden people further but is that message reaching the ground and I wonder if um, in pr- making these proposals the government have, uh, you know, uh, is the messaging going out properly? Are people receiving it? Do you have any polling data that might support a uh, perspective on how uh, the government comms is doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been doing polling and in fact, right now we are running a poll as well. And what we're noticing is that, um, you know, public appreciation of how the government is managing the economy has been pretty low, not just this government, but previous administrations as well. I think the public has grown very, very critical about, uh, you know, livelihood and cost of living issues that has been uh, the top issue for pretty much the last 15 years. Uh, And even though we understand from data that we've received that uh, wages have improved somewhat from the COVID period, uh, I think a lot of households are still feeling they're still running behind uh, the cost of living. Um, and so I think in terms of effectiveness of government comms still leaves a lot to be decided uh, because it's not reaching out there in a big enough way that makes people understand. I think for the government, um, their key challenges, I think, before they reach out to the public is even members of the public sector, their own civil servants, probably are not in the clear in terms of what the government's policies and strategies are. And I think this is critical because they serve as interlocutors between the government and the public. And and here we are talking about ordinary civil servants in the town councils, in the line counter services, teachers especially. Okay. There are five hundred thousand teachers. Uh, I wonder whether they are clear. My my sense is by looking at the voting record from last August, they are not in the clear. I mean the Major, vast majority of them voted PN. And so I think that, that just is a stark reminder that the government's challenges in terms of convincing and informing people be, begins at home, begins in their offices first.
2: Now, the government has been at pains to say that while they are following a policy of reform, they're keeping an eye on its impact on citizens. Uh, but the ri- So, for example, the rise in the sales tax from 6 to 8% does have many exemptions. How much does this constrain the government?
1: uh i'm not sure what the numbers are like i mean in terms of the carve outs to the sales tax you know whether or not they are generating the kind of uh incomes that they're desiring and whether or not the incomes that they're getting by raising it from 6 to 8% minus all the carve outs are substantive enough you know for the kind of negative backlash that they're getting so i think i i'm not sure uh but is it going to have a political impact yes partly because it affects traders and people who are delivering services. Uh, and they definitely will transfer those costs to ordinary consumers, plus perhaps an even an additional markup. So we expect to see prices go up uh, in March um, and, and leading up to Ramadan and also Hari Raya. So certainly that's going to be discussed you know, in the warungs and in the stalls uh, in the coming weeks.
3: Now, are your final thoughts on the issue?
1: I think overall, I think the government's principal challenge is still, you know, articulating, or sorry, developing or carrying out economic reforms and articulating it to the public. They have this year to implement it. uh, And I think they can take a leaf out of the playbook of what President Jokowi of Indonesia had done when he first started his term. He too cut down subsidies substantively and generated a lot of public backlash, but somehow was able to turn things around. Uh, fairly rapidly, very convincingly, such that in this recent presidential elections, we see uh, a very clear mandate from the Indonesian people, especially the young. Uh, 65% of young Indonesians voted for Jokowi's preferred candidate, Prabhu, and his son. Uh, I mean, I look at that principally because you know Indonesia is a country where um, a lot of the political developments that are interesting and groundbreaking or even radical, tends to happen there first. And then three, four years later, we see same sort of developments here in Malaysia. Uh, So there's a leaf that something that could be taken out of that. So I think my thoughts are uh, economic reform is critical. The government needs to articulate it clearly to the public about the sacrifices they need to make. But at the same time, deliver the signal that they too are willing to make those sacrifices uh, and uh, are pulling up their shirt sleeves and working very hard. To address the issues,
2: Ben. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. That was Ben Sufian, program director of Merdeka Centre, talking about the political ramifications surrounding the decline of the ringgit against the US dollar. You've been listening to Inside Story, BFM eighty nine point nine.
0: You have been listening to
2: a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind.